since the Industrial Revolution, older people have been seen as unproductive, basically. They're no good to anybody because they're no longer able to work in the factories and produce anything. Even though the truth is, older people, a study in about 2013 said, older people bring 63 billion into the exchequer. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. Older people can often be ignored in the media, but since the outbreak of coronavirus, that has changed. From the death count, to the terrible situation in care homes, right through to good old Captain Tom. Their issues have been front and centre. So this week we talk to the manager of the Bristol Older People's Forum, Ian Quaife, how he advocates on their behalf, how we can challenge images of frailty, and the intergenerational gap. Boomers and millennials, don't they hold all the wealth, all the houses, all the pensions? These are the things we explore in this week's Bristol Unpacked. You're the manager of the Bristol Older People's Forum, yeah? I'd like to think I'm the director, but they call me the development manager. And what does a development manager do? There's two members of staff. There's me, and we have a finance administrator. And between us, we run the whole thing. So we've got 3,000 members challenging ageism, empowering older people, getting older people involved in as much decision-making as possible. Yeah. And representing our membership, really, on a whole range of issues. The, the reference to what an older person is, it's quite broad, isn't it? Is that over 55? Is that right? Yeah. So I've got to be honest, that's a bit of a problem for the sector, really. You know, the old older people cover three generations, really. 55, 75, up to 95. You've got three different worldviews. You've got different perceptions into one big lump. And that, that is a problem when you're trying to deliver services. You'd never go, well, we're working with five-year-olds to 45-year-olds, would you? But we do do this with older people. The assumption that someone that's 55 is going to be the same as someone that's 95. That's the challenge, really. It is quirky, I think, the fact that we do that. I mean, there are people that we work with, what we call a younger, older age group, so you're 55 to 65s. But I would say overall we're working with the over-70s more. Just to say, Age UK Bristol, yeah. they were 50 pluses, so even bigger. Kind of even, even younger, okay. How, how old are you? Coming out at 63. So I'm in a kind of younger, older age range, I think. But there's good news, though, because the first time in my life I'm a protective characteristic. I'm now one of the oppressed, whereas before <laughs> I didn't really tick any boxes, but I tick boxes now, and I quite like that. Because you've been in the community development field for most of your career? Since the sort of mid-90s, I'd say. Started off as a community worker over in Hartcliffe, Willywood. You know, worked my way through to running community development and community cohesion at the council and as my career went on. And I took early retirement. But I did a lot of stuff before then, obviously. I mean, I, I didn't go to university until I was 30. So, What did you do before you retrained then? Worked in a holiday camp for five years. Did you? What, like a red coat? I was a red coat for a while. In Butlins, but I quit and went to work in Croy Bay as a kind of dishwasher, stroke waiter, stroke barman, stroke yeah. kitchen porter, stroke gardener. Did that for five years. That's quite a broad role. Yeah, I did a bit of everything over there. And then um, spent a lot of time on the doll. I was a musician for a while in a band. The issue around older people, is that something that you're particularly passionate about? Or have you only become passionate about 
older people just because you're now one of them. So is it sort of is it motivated by your sort of self, or or have you always had this sort of altruistic attitude to older people? There might be something in what you said there. You know, as you get older and being kind of recognised as an older person, you want you want to see sort of justice in a way. We live in a society that's an ageist society, so older people are kind of dismissed as sort of frail or as, as a burden on society. One of my key roles is to challenge some of those assumptions. I think that's really important. Basically, I'd like to see a kind of much more socialist social model of ageing rather than, you know, the medical model where we're kind of obsessed with everybody dying and being ill all the time. Do you think in the UK we've got a different attitude to older people than some other cultures? I mean, I know South Asian communities, some Caribbean communities, even South American communities with my connections through my partner. The whole sort of idea of putting an older person into a home yeah it's sort of that it just wouldn't be considered yeah there is some truth in that having said that though i spoke to somebody the other day from a south asian background they said yeah we don't necessarily put as many elders in homes like you do the english people uh, inverted yeah. commas. We, and we therefore have our mothers or our fathers at home but in many in many families they get ignored they're there but they get ignored so it's sort of the lesser of two evils but um yeah but I think that's probably true in other kind of cultures. They wouldn't sort of see the home, the care home, as an option, really. And there's maybe more reverence for older people. They're kind of seen as the elders. You know, people talk about elders, don't they, in the in the Caribbean community, like a real reverence for... I don't know if... I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that is the case so much these days around white British people. I don't think it is really. I, I'm not sure it is in other. I mean, older people have been kind of seen negatively for, you know, for 2000 years. It's Aristotle, you know, and the Romans and so on. They've always been seen in a negative way. It was probably one. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, in the 1950s, I would imagine the 40s and the 50s, older people were, I always remember this whole thing, respect your elders and doff, doff your yeah. head. The cat. I, I, that's kind of more what I mean. I, I wonder if that's eroding more. Well, I think there is some truth in that. I think as older people get older and live longer, Mm. I think there is more, there seems to be more negativity. And it's very much based on the idea that all older people are ill and in decline and dying. And so the sort of services that are out there for them are, oh, we better give them some activities to do. Or we better make sure they're washed and breakfast and up and toileted patronizing yeah yeah it's a very medical model of, of yeah. age and aging let's talk about some of those stereotypes then how people see aging and older people what what would they be the the obvious ones you know wrinkly hands on adverts walking sticks and this obsession with older people dying and, and obviously with covid that's been compounded even more I call it the Valdunicanization of older people as well so older people dressed in really comfy cardigans they're usually white they're usually yeah. heterosexual. They're usually middle class. It's kind of a safe image, I think, of older people. Yeah. And it's not its not older people just being ordinary. ordinary. You, yeah, you're right. You've got those images of frailty, but then you get the opposite, don't you? We've seen that with, with Captain Tom, haven't we? Where so it breaks the stereotypes, doing fantastic, amazing things despite his age and uh, with his walking stick. And there becomes a, a kind of hero that transcends those images and those perceptions of what older people are well i think it's even more nuanced than that there's obviously the benevolent patronage what we've been talking about older people as kind of a bit of a problem a bit of a burden and being frail and, and yeah. but then as you say 
there's the establishment view of old, older agents. And Captain Tom, you know, he was he fitted that narrative really well. I mean, nothing wrong with a guy. He was, uh, you know, he, he raised money for charity, so on and so forth. But I think he was used as a, I, I hate to say it, but he was kind of a useful idiot in a way, wasn't he? He was used as a kind of diversionary tactic. You know, the fact that there was 130,000 people that died, many of whom were older. So I think, you know, he was he came in at, came in at the right time. The fact that there's this the kind of reverence for a certain type of older person, patriotic kind of war hero, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it fits into a certain. Uh, I wouldn't even say a stereotype. It's just a, it's a, it's a kind of establishment kind of norm. Yeah, it's safe, isn't it? It's really safe. So you've got that kind of establishment person. Then you've got. Older people doing what we'd say amazing things like, you know, jumping out of aeroplanes for charity or running at 455 marathons a week, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you've got the superhuman ones or you've got people that are really frail or you've got kind of your Captain Tom's establishment figures that everybody's kind of, you know, he's, he's safe, isn't it? He's safe. He's a he's probably a very nice chap. I feel sorry for the fact, he had a, you know, they shipped him off to Barbados and he had to go and meet. Cliff Richard and Russ Abbott. I mean, that, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, to be honest. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he, he was very much considered like a sacred cow. And as you say, you know, no one's taken anything away from raising all that money he did for the NHS. But if anyone was slightly critical or cynical, perhaps, about how he was taken to the hearts of the political establishment and all the media jumped on it all, you, you're unpatriotic. Your, yeah. your, your disgrace, you know, how dare you? It just all got to get a bit silly. And then he dies, you know, very sad. He was 99. Uh, he did go to Barbados, you know, great fair play to him, a final kind of swan song. I mean, yeah. none of these people know him, do they? It's like an odd kind of, as you say, a kind of national mourning, a national celebration. And maybe almost like if, if I'm being cynical, a smoke and mirrors tactic to stop people looking at care homes that you know the disgraceful lack of ppe in care homes older people die you know all that kind of stuff i mean there was no critical analysis was there at all because you know he was making the headlines but you know i never heard him mention the fact that you know two and a half million older people living in unfit homes for example or the unemployment levels for older people have gone up tenfold since the start of covid and so on and so forth you know to be fair to him he did what he did, and that's fine. I mean, he seemed like a decent sort of chap. Uh, yeah, it's not really about him. It's about how he is, I wouldn't say exploited, because that's maybe a bit strong, but how he's weaponised as a bit of a political pawn. And I guess it's the same kind of principle when it became clapping the, the NHS, which started out as a well-meaning thing, and then it became a slightly sort of meaningless gesture a bit. And it was co-opted by politicians for their own kind of agenda to stop asking the real questions we're seeing now, aren't we, about, you know, the, the nurses' yeah. pay rise, but we'll kind of clap them. And it's the same sort of principles. That is their sort of gesture, big grand gesture politics without any real sort of substance. And it stops people from asking the real questions. Yeah, absolutely. He was part of that story in a way. And I, I think, you know, it's kind of, kind of sad in a way. COVID is, you know, older people, obviously, you know, the, the, the illness directly affects, affects them. 13 times more hospital mortality rates for people that are in that over 55, over 60 category. Yeah. What I want to try and explore a little bit now is this sense of, if we can just park for one minute the inconsistency at times from the government's message and look at people's sort of civic response to COVID, I think, this is my sense, that actually because it's older people, 
I think it feels emotionally quite far away from someone if you're 20, 21, 22, 25, and you, and you go into, you know, illegal raves and, you know, like they did in Yate or you're kind of out and about. And I understand that's really tricky and difficult because, you know, you're in your youth and you want to be out and about. And I'm now, I've got three kids. I, you know, it's easy for me not to be that bothered by stuff like that. But I just, I don't, it sounds a bit harsh, but I just wonder whether young people really are that bothered. I think that there is intergenerational differences, but it's funny enough, you know, anecdotally, and when I'm walk, walking around, I see a lot of younger people with masks on and they're wearing masks outside as well. So, you know, I think they do take it seriously, but you're right. Older people are more likely, you know, the older you get, the more vulnerable. You think young, you think young people feel that? They, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I mean, you've seen up and down the country, loads and loads of kind of student parties and are they not the, the generation that seem less yeah. adhering to, to COVID or, or am I stereotyping younger people well, there? Because I think that just makes the headlines when there's the odd party. But I think most of the younger people have been pretty good about it, to be honest. I, you know, my two upstairs here, I mean, yeah. they, they've been really sensible. They they keep thinking I'm breaking the bubble by just chatting to you, even on, on yeah. Zoom. It's almost just like millennial against boomers thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think that a lot of young people that really kind of struggle with student debt with sort of squeezed wages with soaring house costs unable to get on the housing ladder and seeing over 65s that you know the world was you know in many regards they sort of lucked out a little bit the 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 chasm has widened I think around the sort of political situation particularly I would say around Brexit 73 percent of 18 to 24 year olds voted remain and 60% 60% of 65 plus voted to leave. Hmm. There's that sense of, and this is a quote now from a young person's website, denying young people the privileges they deserve. Is there some truth to that, that older people are denying young people the privileges they deserve? Well, I think that's another, I mean, you, factually, you, you know, more older people voted for Brexit. We know that, but but to create an artificial division and create a kind of those, it's a kind of cultural thing, isn't it? Oh, you know, younger people blaming older people for the for the situation. Well, it's not it's not an artificial division. There, that's literally seventy three percent plays sixty percent. So that is an actual to the context of the Brexit vote. There is a division. Okay, there is some division there, but that doesn't mean younger people. Are, you know, I think what I think what you were kind of coming on to was that idea that. Younger people see older people as much more privileged than they are, and they will be in the future. And you I don't think, think they are? More, they, they, are they not more privileged well, economically? I think there's a lot of mythology around that, personally. You know, you're right. More older people probably are homeowners. I mean, over, I'll give you this. So over 65s account for 50% of house ownership. Yeah. Over 50s account for 75%. So there's a clear economic divide with young people anyone under the age of 30 now struggles to get a house so there is a an economic disparity there which i think is why when it came to the brexit vote i don't know you're not necessarily going to benefit from traveling around europe or working abroad or wanting to be part of a kind of wider economy then you you can vote in that direction and it not impact upon you i'm just i'm just i'm just interested to know whether yeah that that's pulling the drawbridge up a little bit I think that's a simplistic view of it because that's saying, uh, well, we just blame older people for the fact that the market forces have made it impossible for young people to own a house. It's nothing to do with older people. Older people just at the time were able to buy. And don't forget, four million houses for people over the age of 50 are unfit 
So it's not just about having a house. But you can't blame the market forces on older people or, or younger people. But but the Brexit vote, I mean, regardless of what politics are, the Brexit vote, you know, is that not seen as of kind of putting the drawbridge up a little bit for, for something that doesn't affect that and won't affect people of an older age group? Well, that's just fueling it, isn't it? It's just saying, oh, well, all older people have voted for Brexit, therefore we... Well, it's it's not as a question. I'm asking you a question. What, what, you know, if that, if if the perception, the perception is there from some young people that feel that. So why is that not true then? Well, I'm trying to answer it. And what I'm saying is that that's fueling it. But in, in your argument, you're saying that we must blame older people for the state of the market. You know, the fact we live in a market economy. So that's the reason. So if you start blaming particular groups, you know... You can blame old people for voting for Brexit because they just chose to vote for Brexit, can you? Quite a right-wing way of looking at things. I, I wouldn't buy into that at all. Well, so you can't... You, hang on, you can't blame somebody for voting something that they wanted to vote for? Well, if people... Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean, you're using that and saying that the... the, the you're, you're deconstructing every question I'm asking you. Like, just what? answer the question. No, how can how can it's not about sense? It's just a question, which is if 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 that high percentage amount of older people voted for Brexit, by definition, that's what got it over the line. So it's maybe the older generation that have had less contact. If we're getting down to the brass tacks, yeah, had less contact with different kinds of communities. They grew up, you know, during the war and afterwards before Windrush and so on, where they, they lived in a kind of white kind of community. Um, racist, and, yeah? Well, I wouldn't say that everybody that voted Brexit is racist, personally, although most racists uh, did vote Brexit. But I would say they just had a different kind of worldview. And um, I think that's changing. I think, you know, if there was another vote in 10 years' time, I think we'd probably stay in. So, so you think it's quite, quite, quite a cultural thing? that maybe older people are more connected to the idea maybe of being British and not feeling European, that maybe younger people feel more European? Is it a cultural thing as much as an economic thing that the vote swung that way? I'm a bit apprehensive to answer because I haven't seen any research on that, although I do take on board what you're saying about the stats. I've seen that. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because the interesting thing is that whilst those stats are there, and make of this what you will, Amongst degree-educated 18 to 30-year-olds, there were 80% that voted to remain. Mm. Over 55 people with a degree, how many do you think voted to remain? Uh, Pretty high. 70%. Yeah. So there's demographics and there's, there's a different kind of mix within that age group. So people that are, you know, I'm using speech more educated with a degree 70% that's a massive turnaround from what is yeah. 60% of people in that in that age bracket that voted to leave yeah that, that what does that say well it says lots of things they're saying that people want to be uh, stay stay in Europe clearly there is a kind of chasm on the whole between older people and younger people you can use stats to prove anything but at the end of the day you're just reinforcing kind of, um, you know, and scapegoating one group against another. And whatever it is, there's a black against white or women against men. I would never do that and always try to challenge it and find the arguments to challenge it. Perhaps I haven't done that tonight, but I would certainly be looking to do that. You don't have to deny reality, they do. You? I think you can't just say that when information or data or stats is given, that's used to demonize. I think you, you, you can't deny reality and evidential statistical reality. It's what you do with that information, isn't it? And how you use that to communicate across those lines 
I think Bristol's a microcosm on this. If we just park Brexit for a minute and talk about house ownership, we do know that lots of you know people of a certain age, I'm probably in the bracket or just below me, I think, that we're kind of the last people that could actually probably buy houses and young people are really, really struggling. And there is, a, there is an anger and a resentment. And I think probably a lot of the cable audience, the renters, they come from that kind of world where they probably look at older people and think, bloody hell, like they had it easy compared to us. But maybe that's where some of the lack of that reverence for older people isn't there so much. Well, it's just ageism at work, isn't it? It's just a blaming older people, blame, blame the lack of jobs on too many immigrants coming. It's the same argument. I mean, they're yeah. spurious arguments, but acknowledge it exists. As I, as I said earlier, younger yeah. people blame older people and, and certainly older people blame younger people for hanging around the streets and doing all yeah. sorts. Of- yeah, let's, let's, let's touch on that then. Let's flip that. As you said, it's the attitudes of older people to younger people. Well, I I do a lot of something called challenging ageism workshops. It's sort of an intergenerational approach to ageism. So I do it with a younger person. But you'll get when we have those discussions, certainly you do get your older people. Often they start off by saying, well, oh, these younger people, yeah, oh, they're they're cycling and they don't look out for the pedestrians when we're walking around or they're hanging about the streets and doing all those things, you know. And and I, I always try to nip that in the bud because I think that, Again, you're just falling into the trap. Just the blame culture all the time. Look at the bigger picture. You know, why is there ageism? Why is there racism? Why is there sexism and so on? Why is there ageism? Since the Industrial Revolution, older people have been seen as unproductive, basically. They're no good to anybody because they're no longer able to work in the factories and produce anything. Even though the truth is older people, a study in about 2013 said older people bring $63 into the exchequer. Because not only do they volunteer, but they care for other older people, free. And that's kind of forgotten. And the fact is also, don't forget, older people are working. Lots of older people are working until they're 70, 75 now. Just want to jump in and say that at Bristol Cable, we are passionate about providing a voice and providing a platform for underrepresented groups, such as older people. So if you want to join us and jump on board with our aims, then you can you can chuck in some money, a pound, five pound, ten pound every month, and shape the stories we tell and how we tell them. If you go to bristolcable.org, then you can find out more. Back to the chat. One and a half million people now continue to work beyond 65. Absolutely. And that never happened before. So I guess that's that's the other side of this, which is that whilst you've got that you know statistical economic wealth, actually you also have running counter to that people working longer hours. I imagine older people have maybe having to start new jobs. You know, you said about the industrial revolution, kind of factory workers or people that had a trade or were in a union and had a job for life. And that, you know, as, as we all get older now, I think people will gradually start to find it harder and we'll have to maybe look to change careers. You know, I'm on my almost third (laughs) career already and I'm 43. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors in there when you think about it. Just take older women, WASPy women. They used to get their pension until 2014 at the age yeah. of 60. Government yeah. decided to equalise it. They didn't equalise it in a good way. They, they whacked it up to 65, which is now 66. And it's going up to 67 in the next three or four years. By the time you retire in 20-odd yeah. years' time, you'll probably have to wait till you're about 97 before you get anything. So you'll probably yeah. continue working because people yeah. have to. They, you know, some people, some people want to continue working. That's absolutely brilliant, you know. But others, they've got no choice. Because uh, old age pension is pretty meagre and you can't live on it. 
for you, what's the single biggest issue facing older people? So for me, the most important thing is getting older people to be involved in actual decision-making. And I know that probably isn't the most sexiest thing in the world in terms of older people, because I could easily say, oh, making sure they're all fed, washed and toileted, you know, that kind of thing, because that brings in the money. But at the end of the day, it's about if you're going to plant houses in the future, don't go just building houses for 30-year-olds. You need to be building houses for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, right throughout your age. And there is a difference. Are, are they not Are they not on the whole involved in policy decision-making as much as they should be then? It's a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? Because, you know, like we were discussing uh, a meeting the other day, you know, there was an ex-counselor said, well, older people are already involved in decision-making, but it's the same It's the same few older people. They're basically a white, middle-class and male. Yeah, when you say older people aren't the key decision makers, I think, well, hang on a minute, look at Trump, look at look at Biden, look at leading yeah. politicians in this country, yeah. go in the bloody House of Lords, go in the House of Commons. They're all they're all older than me. They're all but as you say, it's a certain type of older person, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. In Bristol, without getting too boring about it, this sort yeah. of one city plan at a local government, getting them involved in that and but making sure that, you know, it's represented for an older person from say over Arcliffe or an older person from inner city areas i mean the biggest challenge really is that a lot of older people and this is a big challenge how we get more older people online as well but are digitally excluded well we're hearing a lot about digital isolation with young people and school kids i'm not hearing it as much about older people it's almost as if it's too late for them to learn yeah there is a little bit of that and i think don't get me wrong i think younger people you know there are a lot of young kids uh, who need uh, access to viewers and uh, you know, it's the same for older people. I think it's more of a challenge for sort of, say, the 75 pluses who have not grown up with computers. And it's no good bunging a sort of laptop in front of them. You struggled a bit to get on tonight, didn't you? Well, exactly. Yeah. It's like the wife down to sort it out for me. It was an hour setting this yeah, up before we hour. press record, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. I, did, I did struggle. I was yeah. a bit bewildered. But the point is, right, so the council, Bristol City Council, yeah. they're doing a really nice thing in a way. It's good headlines yeah. anyway. They're going to provide laptops for older people. You can't just provide an older person with a laptop, as I say. You've got, you need you've to, got to do the work around it, haven't you? To offer the support, yeah. My argument is it's much more grassroots, is get more older people on Zoom, you know, and if, even if it's via a tablet or a phone, you know. One, they need the equipment. Two, they need to know how to use the equipment. And three, they need to then participate. Uh, just to give you an example, I mean, we've got nearly 3,500 members across Bristol. Nearly 2,000 of those aren't online. So that's a that, big... Really? Wow. Two, yeah, yeah. So two-thirds of the people... Well, yeah, so that's, that's why we still do quite a lot of newsletters as well as, you know, online. You know, we get good numbers at Zoom meetings, conference the yeah. other day. We had 100 yeah. people there. So we're still getting older people that are getting used to Zoom. I mean, isn't it good for social isolation, you could argue, really, couldn't you? You could say that in a funny kind of way, we stumbled across this technology that was quite niche, I think, before, that actually, what a great way to communicate to your older relatives that you don't see. It's a godsend, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yes, because we're starting a coffee morning next week, which is on Zoom. So I think, yeah, it's a brilliant tool to be used in the future beyond COVID. But as I said, the challenge will be to get more older people on it. Uh, I think that will happen, but, you know, it's a big big challenge for us at the moment. Intergenerational is is a buzzword. When I was sort of coming to the latter days of my community development stuff, we we started to do intergenerational work, whereas before it would be, I don't know, you don't work with young people and their parents, 
I remember saying, well, why? Because they see each other in the eggs. Why can't you do that? And gradually you started to see this stuff come into play a bit more. I know somebody who runs this project who actually takes young kids into care homes. I know youth clubs have started to do stuff like that more and more. Intergenerational stuff is, is really important. What kind of real practical stuff can you do to kind of bring those two generations together? I think the trouble is there's not been any kind of strategy around it, you know, in Bristol or beyond. But I think there is good intergenerational work that goes on. So just at the basic level, getting elders to go and work in schools, even if it means they're talking about, you know, what it was like in the 1960s or something, you know, as a local kind of history lesson. And then vice versa as well. The kids talking to the older people about what life is like in 2021, challenging some of those stereotypes. You know, we often see older people in sort of passive kind of roles you know being shown what to do things what i'd like to see is more the people taking the lead okay, yeah because interesting how i framed my question was young people going into a care home but yeah you're right what yeah i mean I, that's me probably unconsciously being ageist yeah. by saying that the young people are supporting the older but actually yeah it's the, it could be the other way around going into schools and and providing that proactive education I know what you mean, but I, I, I wouldn't be too sensitive about that because I think it can work the other way as well. I've seen there was an experiment, some young kids, and they were sort of six and seven, pre-COVID, went into a care home, nursing home, and, and built relationships with the older people over a period of time. And they, they did art together and so on and so forth. They were working yeah. as equals. And that was really interesting. I mean, there are some risks there because there's always a danger of treating older people as if they're children, which happens yeah. a lot. Oh, let's give them some activity. You know, <laughs> yeah. we've got to keep them busy. And like most older people yeah. would say, well, fuck that. I just want to fucking just, just want to watch the telly and read a book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I think if it's done well, that sort of intergenerational kind of approach can be effective. Is there that assumption as well? Because I think what tends to happen with dementia, which obviously does come with with, with age or can come mm-hmm. with age for some people. My, my, my dad had um, Alzheimer's, yeah. no longer with us, but kind of you do there is a sort of regression a bit or whereby certainly memories will pop up from being young almost feels like a you know in a circle of life that you sort of return a little bit to some of your kind of childhood ways I think that often comes with maybe having a little bit less responsibility so you're freed up and I think often adults in the middle are a bit dull they've got lots of uh, important things they have to do so there's a freeing up of being old so in a funny kind of way there's kind of more in common with young people and older people there's a free spiritedness there's a spontaneity there's a fun kind of thing do do you know what I mean so all those ingredients are there and actually this sort of stuff we're talking about now would just happen in a normal family years ago yeah, it? It, wouldn't, it wouldn't even need to be talked about or let's create intergenerational fun because it just would be happening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've got to be a bit careful and say that you don't want to contrive things. But yeah, maybe some of this is to do with the demise of the nuclear family. I, I certainly talk to a lot of older people that, you know, their families are living elsewhere, you know, other sides of the country. So they don't have any connection with their kids. Do you think old people look back at the olden days? this links back to the captain tom thing a little bit it's almost like represented a different era of glory and and i just wonder now whether because we are in this sort of post black lives matter decolonization of understanding of the realities of history some older people that perhaps have lived with this sense of identity of nostalgia of the you know the kind of war times and do yeah. you think that some of the new well, it's not new, is it? So some of the some of the existing history, which was kind of pushed underground a bit, this is now popping up, can be a little bit unsettling for some older people. 
Yeah, that sort of misty-eyed, sort of rose-tinted reminiscence is, it's not just the older people, you know, just look at the programmes on the TV. Oh, I want yeah. it great in the 80s, want the music great in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, well, yeah, but some of the music was all right in the 80s, but there's really... Well, it was shite, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, but do you know what I mean? It's a commodity, isn't it, looking back. And I think people do remember their youth, you know, in a very positive way. I think we yeah. all do it, though. I think it's just... My dad used to do it. My dad would be like, oh, we never had any, any crime. And, you know, he was born in 1937. There was no murders. There was no killings. I said, you were you were like a young child during World War Two, Dad, for Christ's sake. It's like more people died than any other period, you know, since the sort of First World War. Yeah. Oh, but- yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose so, yeah. I said, exactly young right. men were over there. Do, do you know what I mean? I think sometimes there is a... Hmm. There's an odd... Maybe, as you say, maybe we all do that a little bit. I think, well, yeah, I mean, the murder rate hasn't gone gone up or down. It's more or less stayed the same. Race riots in the 50s, hatred of foreigners. And it wasn't it wasn't a great time then, and it isn't a great time now. You know, we've always struggled, I think, all of us. Mind you, it yeah. just seems we're entering dystopian times now. But yeah, Maybe we are. <laughs> in your own words, a, a socialist utopia for older people, is that what you said? Is that right? Well, for everybody, obviously. No, I'd like to no, say... No, no, you said that earlier, didn't you say that? I think so. I think I would I would always, you know, I'm, I'm an observer in a way because I'm not in a political party because, I mean, you won't want to be in the Labour Party at the moment. They're always arguing amongst themselves, aren't they, and stuff. But you know, I would like to see kind of a, a better society where we distribute resources a bit fairer. That's, let's start with that and then work, work from there. Why don't we start with all those pensions from older people? So they could they could well, they can redistribute, can they? No? Well, well, of course, yeah, because they're getting too much money, aren't they? The older people, yeah, they get it all. They get the house. Yeah. Now we've probably got one of the lowest pensions in Europe uh, for older people. Have we? So the UK state pension, according to data from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, is the worst in the developed world. As a percentage of average earnings, the UK government pays out 29%, putting it at the bottom of a table, which is led by Holland, which pay 100.6%, Portugal, which offers 94%, and Italy, which gives 93.2%. And we're going to end on this, I think, as a sort of positive, you say about contribution to the Exchequer, that over 50s account for 47% of all UK consumption. 320 billion! The grey pound, they're calling it. I mean, that's a bit pound. Wow. That shows the contribution, though, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you something. I'm surprised the capitalists suss that out, that the older people spend more money than anybody. And, like, you don't have to just try to flog them life insurance and funeral plans and standard yeah. airlifts and gold coins. They can actually buy things as well, yeah. buy nice clothes, buy furniture, whatever it is. But you wouldn't know that from an advert, would you? never see older people in an advert unless it's flogging a free pen by Michael Parkinson to buy some insurance, you know. Right, yeah. we got to wrap it up, mate. Uh, thanks for that. Did you, no did you enjoy it? it all right? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it got better, didn't it? We had a bit of a row, yeah. which was good. You don't oh, want to... You, you want to answer the question, did you, a few times? I had to sort of nudge you a little bit. You kind of, you were being a bit sort of political. <laughs> Just thought I was challenging your... Kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, so mate, thanks for talking. Take care. Cheers, buddy. So I'm just sat down with a cup of tea, reflecting on that chat with Ian. He was a bit more circumspect, guarded in his responses, which is understandable because his role is advocacy. But I think there were times when he didn't engage with the question or challenge the supposition of the question, which was unexpected. I think maybe he was in work mode 
a little bit because he isn't all circumspect <laughs> far from it but we got there in the end i had to push and prod a little bit because it's not about stoking it's just about examining where that's coming from and is there any legitimacy to it rather than just is it even a legitimate question that's not necessarily conducive to a, a good listen on a podcast i don't think maybe you could go into politics i don't know yeah but we got there in the end and i think it's you know there's a key thing to examine um so there's that bit i also think it's really important and it was good that we acknowledged that things are also tough that you know this is not for every older person and the revelation that pensions are some of the lowest in the developed world but there is frustration amongst young people who do feel quite angry i think at how the world is and what they're inheriting and that is being directed possibly misdirected i don't know to older people so it is important to to grasp that reality but also look at solutions and i think we did in the end look at you know what what can you do to bring those generations together particularly around coronavirus and the attitudes to older people are like no you know it's it's just older people that die i hear that not maybe not in such a sort of an open way but it feels like that it feels that well this isn't this affects older but you know they're on the way out anyway you know kind of there's a bit of that going on i think so it was good to, to talk about this issue and to talk what is what is an underrepresented group and i think talking about the stereotypes the images of frailty the feeling of being you know not important not a contributor to society anymore when all the financial data talks about the gray pound and you know one in four transactions are by people over the age of 55 60 that's important stuff to society you know we've all got older relatives grandparents parents that feel that they're kind of out the loop a bit and it's important to remember that they've got an awful lot to contribute thanks for listening to bristol unpacked i'm neil mags and a big thanks to rosa eaton our audio producer adam cantwell corn our executive producer and blue dot for our music Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.